0: In the last conference, you saw how indispensably important it was that your child learn to dominate his instincts, to, to say no to himself. One of those powerful instincts that we have as human beings is a sexual instinct. Now we spoke, or I spoke, and most of you were there, uh, on Friday at church, Friday it was, on the the virtue of purity. And I want to continue that topic here today. It's a delicate subject, but one that's extremely important to talk about. As I mentioned the quote of Our Lady of Fatima, saying that more souls go to hell for sins of impurity than anything else. St. Alphonsus goes further. He says that more souls go to hell for sins of impurity than for all other sins put together. All right, so here is, the devil knows, this is the crack, the big crack in our fallen human nature, and he attacks, and he attacks hard. And aside the, the importance of purity for the soul, just salvation for the soul, you can't have a strong family, a healthy family, a virtuous family on any level. Purity is not there. And even more important than that, you can't have religious vocations if you don't have purity. A child that that is not pure has no desire for the religious vocation and no ability to become a religious. Obviously the virtue is very much under assault, and so, and I know as Catholic parents, young people who have a heart <clears throat> in, in, in raising, raising little kids, working with kids, it's certainly a virtue that you, you, you take very seriously and one that you try, you want to instill in the kids. But how do you do it? How do you do it when it's being attacked everywhere? Well, there are two aspects, and we're only going to cover one today. In the next one, we'll cover in the next conference. You have to form your child so that he can be cure, and you have to inform your child so that he can be cure. Formation of the character and formation of the intellect. Today we're going to talk about formation of the character. It's going to spin off of what we talked about last time and what I talked about on Friday. Knowledge is not going to be enough. You can tell your child that's a mortal sin or that's dangerous. not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. There's got to be a formation of the character that will facilitate the keeping of this virtue. There are three components that we're going to look at. First, we need to preserve our children, innocence of our children. Secondly, we need to arm them for combat, because it will be a combat. It's not a question of if my child has to fight this temptation. It's a question of when. That doesn't mean that it's going to be forever in his life. It means that sometime. For a longer or not so long period of time, he's going to be obliged to fight the temptations of the soul. So you need to arm him for that combat, which is coming, and you need to fortify the spiritual life. Because he will not be able to stand up to that combat on his own strength. So first we look at preserving the child's innocence. The whole point here is to prevent him from falling into habits that are very difficult to overcome. Habits of mind, habits of action. Obviously, there's corruption pretty much everywhere in our world. That doesn't mean there's not good. Careful, there is good. And there are good people. And there are good, healthy things, obviously. That's what our education, we do try to do to school. Good literature, good plays, right? and so on and so forth, to, to, to show the beauty and goodness right, to the kids. But there's a lot that's bad too. And we have to be aware of that as parents and as educators. We've talked a lot in conferences, not so much this year, but last year, about television and movies and books and games and so on and the danger that they can pose to your children, I'm not going to regurgitate it again today. But I do want to just emphasize that you cannot underestimate the pool of curiosity on your kids. Kids are inherently curious. And that makes them vulnerable especially in a world that, with a very thin veneer, hides corruption, if it hides it at all. Don't underestimate the pool of curiosity, television when you're not home, internet not supervised, even though you've laid down certain rules, and so on. Don't underestimate it. Don't underestimate either the damage that's done, to a young mind, and to a young imagination, and to a young heart. And the experimentation that can follow and easily develop into grave habits. a child is tainted or reached by one of these corrupting influences, So you have to be careful of the kind of things you have in your home. Remember, a magazine that for you is something you can say, I'll just flip past that. Don't count on your little kid doing it. He's curious to know, and he doesn't know what he's playing with. Questionable television, etc. Questionable companions. You have to, as parents, know your kids' friends. You have to know your kids' friends, and I've mentioned before how important it is to bring them into your home, to welcome them into your home. Where you'll learn a lot—not just about your, their friends, you learn a lot about your kids, a lot about your kids. Maybe you didn't treat—and I'm not saying horrible things—I'm just saying you'll you'll start seeing a different side of your children, and you'll understand them better. So do bring your children's friends into your home. With with your older children, just because they're older doesn't mean you're not involved. Now, I'm amazed at the leeway that parents give their children when they get to a certain age, 15, 16. They let them go way too far. They underestimate how powerful the, the pool of peer pressure is, how, how it grabs the kids and they're, they're helpless. They underestimate, again, curiosity. And they underestimate the corruption of the world that's out there. It's not the world you grew up in, which wasn't great. It's not the same world. And a lot of parents are in total denial, or they're just clueless. pulled this article out of the USA Today a little while back. Survey, parents clueless on booze, drugs at teen parties. 80% of parents surveyed said that the parties their kids are going to have no drugs or alcohol. Only 50% of the kids surveyed said the same thing. of the parents said that the parties their kids go to are supervised by another parent. 33% of the kids said the same thing. Apply the same naivete to sex. That doesn't mean your kids are bad, your kids are doing it, I'm just talking about the world at large. Don't underestimate. their friends, and obviously any other adult who has access to your kids. You have to be alert to the fact that we live in a corrupt world. You have to be alert. Whether it's relatives, whether it's neighbors, whatever. And it's not careful here. It's not a question of being paranoid. And, you know, every little thing you see is like, oh, no. It's a question of simply being prudent and being watchful, being vigilant. You have charity, you preserve the best, you're also prudent, and you watch. Another corrupting influence that we don't think about, normally we think about television and those things, we'll think about, okay, the possibility of a bad companion, we think about those things. One we don't think about, is too much free time. Too much free time is devastating for kids, especially when they reach a certain age. There's the old saying an idle mind is the devil's workshop. It's very true. It is very true. Keeping your children busy is important. And that doesn't mean it's another topic, but it's one of my pet peeves. It doesn't mean you're running here, there, and everywhere all the time to entertain your kids. But it does mean you want your children to be constantly engaged in something constructive. Whether it's work, whether it's chores, whether it's hobbies, healthy, constructive hobbies, whether it's good reading, it doesn't matter. They need to be engaged in activity you go back in history, there are some great saints that, that tell us that the reason they fell was because they were idle. St. Augustine's one. St. Augustine was 16 when he was pulled out of school because his parents couldn't afford it. Now he was idle. And he fell into the worst excesses of his age. It took him until he was over 30 to get out of and which he fought against for long after that. And he says it was because they didn't have anything to do. St. Jerome also another saint who struggled to be pure. And the way, he says, that he was able to overcome bad habits was work. He threw himself into his work, his study of work. And he had a focus then And he was able to overcome his weakness. So too much free time, and it's it's another corrupting influence we have to be careful of. Come back to the vigilance. You you want in your home, you have to be vigilant in your home to, to have, to see that there's an atmosphere not sleep. From the time that the kids are little, it's not because a child is only three that he can run around with nothing on. I'm not saying that's going to be an occasion of sin for anybody. It doesn't (coughs) matter. It's not the point. It's creating a certain laxity in that child with regard to modesty that is going to affect him later on. You have to be, you want to avoid carelessness in the area of dress from the time the child is young. Because you want to instill in them a sense of modesty. And it's not by saying, be modest, although the little girl is just pulling up her dress and pull it down and say, be modest, be a lady. Okay, fine. That's part of it. But it's by just the atmosphere in your home that they'll develop that sense. You know, if you allow your kids to run around in their underwear, for example, if you allow your kids to 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 loiter in the in the bath and and with bathe with each other, you know, and if if you yourself are not modest in front of your kids, all of that weakens their sense of modesty. And you don't want a false prudery. That's not gonna help them. you do want a sense of modesty. Also in the home, you have to be be vigilant to possible development of bad habits. Children are inclined to explore everything. And that includes their bodies. It's completely natural that they would be curious. And it's not at all unusual for a child to discover, accidentally, Whether it be through exploration, just curiosity, or whether it be through through uh, scratching and so on, from discomfort, from poor hygiene or whatever, right? To discover accidentally the sexual pleasure. That can happen completely innocently on the part of the children. And it does happen. And parents need to be alert, not so that when I mean, they see it, like, oh my gosh, no, 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 no. In fact, that's the worst thing you can do. But simply being alert and taking s- small measures to limit the danger of such things happening. For example, keeping your child securely panty. Right? Keep making sure that there's good hygiene, so there's not discomfort in, in areas where, where you don't want them scratching and so on. More than necessary. Those are just very simple things. But also, watching. If a child is, 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 is touching himself in an, in an indiscreet way, a way that he shouldn't, you correct him. You don't panic. Right? That's, no. But the same way, I mean, you're going to correct a child who's picking his nose, right? You're going to say, oh, stop, don't do that. That's dirty. Right? Well, if you see a child touching himself in a way that's in Billy, or a gentleman, or that's dirty down there. Use that for going to the bathroom, right? At that, at that little level, that low level, right? When they're just little kids. Go wash your hands, right? But, I mean, be careful, as we'll talk about, we don't want to give the kids a sense of sex being when dirty. We, when we get to teaching the kids about the facts of life, if you will, we be very careful there. We'll talk about that next time. And at the same time, there are certain things that, discreetly and without panic but firmly you correct You're correct so vigilance preserving the children from 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 developing bad habits secondly we need to arm our children for combat resistance to to impurity is far more a question of moral strength and knowledge as i already alluded to Anything in the character formation that, that corresponds with virility and uprightness and endurance and order and strength, that's what's going to help him. That's what he needs. Right? And so we, 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 we immediately go to, there's got to be a certain austerity of formation. I've hit here before. I don't want to dwell on it too long because I want to develop some other points a little bit more. But there has to be a training which basically tells the children that they can't just do what their body wants all the time. And the two areas in particular are their appetite for food and drink, and their appetite, their bodily appetite, their bodily desires for comfort and, and anything that's pleasurable, sensuality. The body cannot always have what it demands. There's got to be a certain discipline there. And you can teach that to your children simply by... Little Simple things, for example, like when he's thirsty, making him wait a minute. You're busy doing something, and you make him wait. Right? Or he wants a snack, and it's, it's almost time to eat, and you just say, "Well, it's only 15 minutes to eat. You can wait. You'll be alright. Make him wait. Same thing with, with you know bodily discomfort. Allow discomfort sometimes. It's not going to kill the children. A, a little bit of uh, Austerity when it comes to the you know, the, the atmosphere in the house, when it comes to their pillow, or their mattress, or the temperature setting, or the carpets. or It's not going to hurt the kids. In fact, it's amazing. They don't have a problem with it at all. But you don't want to soften them by always making sure that the body is very pampered. I'm always preventing that there's any kind of discomfort whatsoever. I think I used the example last year of how that instinct to prevent any discomfort, in fact, cripples them. And the example I used was the butterfly that's trying to free himself from the cocoon. He has to fight to do it. It's hard for him to do it, but that's how he strengthens his wings. If he doesn't fight his way out of the cocoon, he can't fly. He's helpless. He's dead. And so it is with your children. There has to be a certain struggle or they will not develop the wings, the strength of wing that they need to fly, the strength of will. And so you want to develop in them a certain spirit of being, being willing to to fight through solid little difficulties, and and a sense that it's the a strong soul suffers those little annoyances of cold or whatever in silence. It's not a big deal. And he just takes it in stride. So you want to teach them to, to suffer a little bit of physical discomfort without complaint. You have to be careful, too, when it comes to moderating the desires of the body. Be careful with the kind of affection you show them. Too much I mean, affection is necessary. We'll get back to that. But too much physical affection is not good. When I say physical affection, I mean uh, the, the more sensual de- demonstrations of affection, those things that are physically stimulating. And the back rub type of a thing, the massage type of a thing, right? the holding and rocking a child when they're not three years old anymore. There can be a place for it once in a while, but it's moderation. It's one thing I noticed on camp this year with a number of the girls. When they found a friend, I mean, girls are very lovey-dovey, and they hold them, their arms <laughs> around each other as they walk. And I understand all of that. I've seen it all my life. But there was this need to constantly have their hands on the other one, in the sense of like back massage table. And the girls would get up and they'd be giving somebody a back massage, <laughs> and, and I was like, and sometimes it was going, it was just too far. Even my sister's commented, right. and I said, yeah, go tell them to stop. It's not appropriate, too. Appropriate period. Right? Because it can, it can obviously for one or another, not for everybody but it can be an occasion of sin, especially for a boy. For a girl, it can be as well. And it's certainly that desire to be petted and cuddled, that's, that makes a girl vulnerable. And it's instinctive to a certain extent, of course. But be careful. Right? If, if parents, if the affection they're shown is always physical affection, they develop a need for Show affection and show physical affection, but not sensual, not the kind of affection that results in bodily pleasure all the time. It's not, not healthy for them. More important than austerity, I think, austerity of formation, is to, as far as arming your kids for battle, combat. More important than that austerity, which strengthens their will and toughens them up a little bit, is to inspire in them a love for... And desire for virtue purity. There are kids, adults, who have a will of iron. They're tough as nails on the football field or wherever at work. But when it comes to denying themselves in the area of purity, they have absolutely no willpower whatsoever. None. Strength of will, remember, comes not only from a development of the will through effort, which is what we talked about last time in just done a little bit. Strength of will comes through motivation, from motivation to the world. And to tell your child it's necessary <laughs> to be pure, impurity is a mortal sin, it's not going to suffice for him to overcome the condition, just necessity. Your child has to be sold on the beauty and the nobility of purity. If he's going to have the strength to overcome an instinct which is powerful as this one is. And for that, there are a lot of things that God instills in the young that make it very easy, in fact, to develop this love for purity. The first of those things is their natural attraction to beauty. Young people in particular, because they are not jaded, they are innocent, they love what is beautiful. There is still a beauty in their soul, and so they naturally love what is beautiful outside their soul. And you can profit from that love of beauty, and that attraction that they have for beauty, by showing them the beauty of the virtue of purity. As I said in the sermon, John Bosco called it the most beautiful of all the virtues. The one that shines through the most is a jewel in the soul. A jewel that adorns the soul. A jewel that has to be treasured and protected. And I I went on, I talked about how how no virtue more ennobles the soul and more beautifies the soul than this virtue. And no virtue renders the soul and the person more attractive than this virtue. You see it, for example, with little kids, Or there's still so just innocence. It's not an active virtue in the sense of resisting what is evil. But why are babies so beautiful? Because they're innocent. They're pure. There's a light in their eyes that you can't help but notice. And that's why you can't help, especially ladies, you can't help but cool over a little baby. Sure, it's the motherly instinct, but there's a beauty there, and you see it. It's the innocence that shines, innocence that shines through. But it is, it's also true in an adult. There's a light in the eyes of an adult who's pure. There's a life in his face. You can see it in the kids. You can tell a child, and I'm not saying you can tell a child's in the state of mortal sin, but you can tell a child who's been jaded by life. And by what he's seen. You can tell. And also, so you, you, you want to explain this, show this to the kids. And you want to show them, too, that you know, something that they know deep inside themselves already, that every woman seeks a pure heart in a man. And every man seeks a woman with a pure heart. Whether he's pure or not himself, that's what attracts him. And he can't resist that attraction. On the contrary, impurity destroys Destroys the beauty of the soul, it defaces it, and it leaves its mark, as we said, even exteriorly. You can see that loss of innocence. You can see that jadedness. You can see the cynicism. So you have to, and we can't go on and on about the point, you have to show how beautiful the virtue of purity is. You can do it, in part, by the things we're talking about, in part, too, by beautiful examples of purity. There's the and your for example. Uh, it's a beautiful life. Uh, for your kids, the, the story in garments all read. It's well done. It's very well done. And it shows her beauty. This 12-year-old girl who chose God over saving her life by someone. And I, I, I mean, it wasn't that long ago for me, 20 years, some of you are younger than I am by far, I don't know for you, but for me, St. Marie Grady, Mark. I love St. Marie Grady. I love St. Teresa. I love St. Cecilia, especially. Three saints of purity. Their lives, when I was a kid, and I was not an overly religious kid, fortunately, but their lives are great. And when, especially when you can show a boy the virtue, the beauty, of a woman who has this virtue of purity. Now you've sold him on preserving it in the woman around him, looking for it and preserving it. Another thing that's built into young people that you can profit from to strengthen them for this battle for purity is pride. There is a natural pride in a young person. And it's not an evil thing. There is such a thing as a good pride. Would that modern man had more of a true manly pride. or well, pride in what, what God has given him. Because God has given him it, and it's beautiful, and it has a noble purpose. Would that we still had it. But it's in the young. Because they're still idealistic. They have not yet been knocked down by the reality of the modern world. So they have this pride themselves, and you have to you have to show them that only a pure heart is a noble heart. Only a pure heart is an unconquered heart. When the kids at camp um, a year ago made a, a, a CD, they did a recording, and it was so beautiful because you could hear the purity in the voices. They're a pure group of kids. You were there, Mrs. Overson. You could see them. in. And when you listen to that CD, it's it's the purity that grabs you. And so I titled the CD Unconquered Hearts. And then I told the kids why I did. And they loved it. They loved it. Their hearts are unconquered. They're pure. As I mentioned in the sermon, purity is a virtue of conquest. Overcome yourself. It's not naivete. It's not not caring. It's not not having the opportunity. It's conquest, and that's a noble thing. It comes from strength of heart and soul, an ability of heart and soul. It's a beautiful thing. Impurity, on the other hand, is a slavish self-gratification, and it means a loss of royalty, a loss of honor, a loss of It renders one an animal, in the measure that one gives in, in any any given moment. And one who who gives himself to impurity as a way of life, he has no self-respect whatsoever. And so you appeal to to that that sense of pride, that true pride, and also the pride of wanting, when the time comes, to give to the one that you're going to spend your life with a heart that is untainted, that is pure and unspoiled. And there's a certain shame in being able to, to offer when that person comes only a heart that, that, that's been used, that's been corrupted, that's been conquered. You want to give an unconquered. Also in the youngsters, there's, and it goes very close to the spirit of pride, this right? natural pride, there's a natural nobility of spirit in the young. Right? There's and, and you can capitalize on that to, to inspire in the children, in the youngsters, the teenagers in particular, a chivalrous spirit. Right? A heart is young in the measure, this is why you can have somebody who's 40 years old and still be young. A heart is young in the measure that it's, it's got the spirit of sugar, that it's high minded and noble. We're talking here about a girl who, who seeks to heal the wounded of body and soul, who seeks to comfort the sufferer. You're talking about a boy who despises one who would, would oppress or abuse the weak or the vulnerable. In the sermon which I gave, I talked about how. A charity for the weak, the, the unwanted, the unattractive, is one of the best ways of strengthening the heart for purity, because it develops unselfishness, and it fits right in here. Remember, pure impurity, impurity, is always a question of selfishness, and it's always a question of self-gratification. Of either the emotions or, the, or the, the passions, the appetites of the body. There's, there's a self gratification. And so, if, if you want a youngster to be strong against temptations, against purity, then you have to form him to have an unselfish heart. And you don't do that by saying, share. Right? You do it by inspiring him with the nobility of having an unselfish heart, showing him the beauty of. it goes, with the same spirit of chivalry, respect for the opposite sex. And here, frankly, it's mostly mom and dad that are going to do it by the way they treat one another, more than anything else. If if a husband mocks his wife, scorns her openly, his boys are not going to respect. Their future wives. They will treat their wives the same way. In fact, one of the things I always tell the kids, girls on camp, I say, look at how the boy you like treats his mom. Now you know how he's going to treat you. It's absolutely true. But the way the boy treats his mom is the way dad treats the mom. So always respect. And and men in particular, you're you're obliged to demand that respect of your children, respect for them. It's your duty. No, they will not respect the opposite sex. I'm talking about the boys. They will not. And if they don't respect them, you will use them and abuse them. And so you, you teach the kids by your own example, of course, right, first, but also just simply by correction and so on. You, you, want to, you don't want them using belittling remarks and so on to the opposite sex. It's normal enough, obviously, at a certain age, girls have cooties and boys are disgusting. And, you know, of course, right, it's, I mean, it's, it's one of the ways God protects. Right? At the same time, they can have cooties and you can still be kind to them. <laughs> you want to have a certain It's true. You want to teach the boys to defend the girls. And to be courteous towards them and to treat them with a certain deference. The old habits of opening the door for the woman and carrying things for her and seeing that she needs a helping hand, those were they were very Catholic because they reflected the chivalrous spirit. Which is indispensable to purity. And in the modern world, men do not respect women; they're objects, they're just objects. You see it in all the advertisements. You got a leg here and a breast there. They don't even show the whole person. Chop off the head and chop off the knees. It's just an object. And that's the spirit that they can be contaminated with. And then we wonder why they fall into purity. Of course. Course. So you, you, you teach them to have this, this chivalrous spirit towards the girls. With both boys and girls, again, still on this, this, this sense of chivalry, this nobility of spirit, you want to instill in them the desire to be, for the girls, a true lady. A true lady. You go back to the, the Middle Ages. A woman was on a pedestal, maybe too much, maybe too much. But it came from a certain sense of reverence for for her role, and a sense of reverence for the Blessed Virgin Mary. Simple as that. And you want the girls to, to know that as a pure woman, they are on a pedestal they hold the boys in the palm of their hand when they're pure. They can reach them and lift them up like nothing else. They can bring nobility and generosity out of a heart that would never give it otherwise. And they have to realize, the girls too, that the the men need their purity. They need it. Girls have a sense already of of sympathy for the weak and a desire to heal and strengthen and to follow. Well, you you tap in on that by showing them that there's the natural attraction for the boys and a natural desire to heal and strengthen and comfort. Let them understand that the men need. Their purity. They need it. They need to have in the darkness of an impure and corrupt world, they need to see a soul that's above that. And when they do, it's very powerful. in strengthening the men to be real men. And then, of course, the girl also needs to understand that the true measure of her beauty And her lovability, which is what she wants. She wants to be loved. The true measure is her virtue. In the measure that she's a reflection of our lady, the lady, she's beautiful. And she's loved. So you, you try to inspire in the girls a desire to be a true woman. And you try to inspire in the boys the desire to be a knight. To be a manly, noble knight. And to realize that every woman hopes to find in him not someone who's going to ravage her of her true riches of virtue. But someone who's going to protect that virtue. That's going to reverence that virtue and protect her and love her for it. One will we'll respect her not despoil her. In the modern world has the girls lose their riches by little expenditures of small change. You, have your, you can have a million dollars in your pocket, you can still spend it. dollar here, ten dollars there, a hundred dollars there, boom, boom, boom. And that's how the modern world attacks the purity of a girl the cheap kiss here, the cheap hug there, and the pat on the back there, pat on the rump here, and whatever, and a little bit, and then she has nothing. There's nothing left. But you, you want the boy to, to want to protect that beauty and that virtue. You want him to know that he can be different from the rest, and that that difference will make all the difference. These are, see, God designed well the young. They're vulnerable, they're weak, but they have within them, if we can tap into it and prevent the contrary on the part of the world, they have within them the nobility of spirit and generosity to be strong and noble and and pure. It's, It's built in them. And of course, the problem in the modern world is it attacks those instincts and it degrades. And then they have nothing. There is one other thing that's extremely important when it comes to arming the children for combat. And that is love and respect for A child who respects his parents and loves them will not, for all the world, disappoint them. I remember growing up myself, again, I was not the most religious or whatever child at a given point in my life. I never lost my respect for mom and dad. And I would have done anything to avoid it. And that is a powerful protection to corruption of soul, to eternity. And, so it's, it's, and it's, not, it's not even just there that this, this importance of parental love is far. If your child is loved, you will have a true sense of self-worth. And that translates into emotional stability, and equilibrium in matters of purity. Very often, purity is a seeking consolation, because the child senses it's not. It's certainly false to, to, to say that you know, a certain emotional instability is, is going to absolutely mean trouble with purity, but it's certainly true to say that in many cases of addiction to impurity, the real problem is emotional imbalance. And it comes from a lack of parental love. A child who knows his love is a child better fortified in the battle for purity. Be careful. Automatically, you mean that means to you, especially probably to mothers, comfort. You know, show affection. But that's not the essential. The essential is making sure your child knows and sees and understands viscerally that you care about what's best for him and that you'll pay the price for that no matter what it costs. It's not just a question of affection. It's a question of caring. Be willing to pay the price. Something that goes a little bit hand in hand in that this parental love is remember respect and love go together. That's why I say they go hand in hand. But you have to maintain that respect. If if your children have no respect for you, if they have no confidence in you. Then they won't have the same. Fortification against the fear of disappointment by sin, by grave sin. So it's very important to, to work to, to maintain your child's confidence. So that he knows he can come to you. He knows that you'll listen to what he says. He knows that you'll guide him surely. And that you'll do it even in difficult matters. And that means simply talking to your child, really talking to him, and men are not very good at that, but you have to show interest in your child and you have to talk to him. And as he starts to get older, you have to let him say what's on his mind, and what's on his mind is not always going to be true or accurate, and you've got to be careful not to just jump on it and say, well, that's stupid, you to know, be careful. <laughs> Because automatically you send the turtle back into the shell. You want him to have confidence and know he can tell you anything. And that you'll respect what what he is and his efforts to figure things out. And that doesn't mean that you'll say, well, okay, that's what you think, that's fine. No, you'll guide and so on. But you, you have to allow him to try to stand on his two feet. And at times, he might tell you things just to see how you react. And at times, he might tell you things hoping that you'll react well. Because it's not a good thing. It's a fall. And if you can avoid, in those cases, being shocked or angry, right, then you will develop tremendous confidence. Part of your kids. And that confidence is something they're not going to want break. It's that respect there. And they'll do what, they'll try to follow your leads simply because they respect you. And they'll do what you ask simply because they respect you. It's like for me with my parents. I went to the seminary to visit as a young man only because I respected my parents. And for no other reason. I had no intention of becoming a priest. I was already decided. <laughs> but I went out of respect for them. They asked me to go. I went. Did just see what it was like. Not to go, to enter, but to go and visit for a week. I went because they asked me to. That respect is, is critical right, to, to the virtue of your kids. Lastly, so we've... We looked at the preserving the innocence of the child, arming the child for battle. And then lastly, you have to fortify the child's spiritual life. You have to be careful. We as Catholics are laying out to the kids a morality which is, in fact, superhuman. It is superhuman. It is beyond their strength. And so we have to give them the means to attain it. Don't paint the mountain for them and then cut their legs off. (coughs) You've got to give them means. Without God's grace, virtue is an illusion at best, and despair is certain. With God's grace, they can climb those mountains. They can fight those battles. They can be noble. They can be upright. They can be heroic. No one more than our kids. No one more than the young. They're capable of tremendous heroism if we give them the means. We form them, we give them the means. And the primary means are supernatural. And we talked to him, I was speaking on purity at church, how prayer is indispensable. Why? Because it goes back to love of God. That's where strength comes from. Just like we talked about that love for our parents, we don't want to offend them. I'd rather die than have my parents ashamed of me. Well, so the love of God. If that love of God is burning in the soul of your child, you'd rather die than God be ashamed of that. Prayer is the only thing they can get that. And so prayer in the home is indispensable. And and teaching your child to pray. Again, your example is is critical. You have to help them to pray. And you have to make sure they can get to the sacraments. Here's where many, many a parent doesn't make what could be a little effort that would prevent disaster. Children need the sacraments. They need confession. Especially when they reach a certain age, They have to have it, so that when something happens, they can reach a why in their life that you are oblivious to. But the priest in the confession will not be. He'll see there's the danger, or there's the fall. And it's either now, dig in and strengthen oneself for the combat, or lose everything. And it's confession that allows that. And so many parents make it very difficult for their kids to get to confession. Simply because they're busy, they've got little kids, they don't get to church till the last minute, so on and so forth. Their kids can't get to the sacraments. And they're vulnerable because of it. And communion is critically important as well, but not without confession. You want the kids to be able to go to the rail freely? They need the strength that comes from the Holy Eucharist. And the Holy Eucharist is the remedy for their weakness. And at the same time, happiness, question. And kids will very easily make bad communities because they're, they're insecure, they're worried what people will think, they're worried what you will think. And many parents make that mistake as well. If your child doesn't go to the sacraments, if he doesn't go to communion, jump. On. Why didn't you go to communion? You need to get to confession. No. If your child doesn't go to communion, just make sure the next week you're there early so he can get in line for confession. That's all. If he doesn't go to confession or if he doesn't go to either, either of the sacraments for a period of time, then you want to discreetly broach the subject with him. It's true. But be careful. Many a parent can push their kids unwittingly into bad communities. And there's nothing more destructive to their soul than that. Because they're now they're taking the means to health. And it's turning to books. The sacraments are especially critical during the adolescent years. Because in the adolescent years, it's very difficult for a child to come to you. He wants to stand on his own two feet. He's very willing to stand on his own two feet if he can possibly manage it. It's like guys asking directions, right? They'll drive around for 45 minutes rather than stop at a gas station and say, where is such and such a place? Right? Well, this is youngsters are, teenagers. They're not going to ask for help. But if they're going to the sacraments, they're getting it. They're getting guidance. They might be getting a little bit of a kick in the butt sometimes, right? In a very kind way. They did <clears throat> So the sacraments are critically important. And then, lastly, for, for purity, everything we've been talking about the last month and a half at the church devotion to Our Lady. If, if your child is close to Our Lady, and again, that's a spirit in your home. It's a spirit in your home. There's reverence for Our Lady. there's I mean, When it's her feast, you make a big deal about her. Right? When it's the rosary, that's her prayer. You do it well for her. Right? And so on and so forth. If, if, if there's a, a devotion to Our Lady that's true, purity is the inevitable consequence. You cannot be close to a heart that's pure like hers. That doesn't mean you won't be weak. Perhaps you will. And everybody got their battle to fight. You'll fight, fight the battle for her. They'll, 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 the child will sense the need to have a heart that corresponds to the heart that he loves. Jesus had on So I encourage you to trust your children certainly daily, daily to our Lady she she is amazing she's amazing and I know in my own family mom always I mean, we went through public school we had no options we weren't traditional Catholic and we had no options anyway so mom pulled us pulled the remainder out of the given appointment when, when we found tradition but she always said I sent you to school every day with our ladies and mentor every day I asked her And I know she protected us. It was amazing. Uh, I was oblivious to what was going on around me in school. Looking back now, it's like bing, bling, (laughs) bling. Wow. And same thing in college. I was oblivious. And certainly our lady protected. So um, do trust, trust our lady order often for your children, but that doesn't dispense us from the need to work in these other areas. We are preserving the innocence, and arming the children in combat. Questions? Yes. As parents, can you ever try to obtain too much grace for your parents? Like always going to a high mass when... Half of the kids are crying for that thing. <laughs> 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 too many prayers You know, you're saying No, it's a good question. <laughs> it's a good question. Um, you can't strive to attain too much grace. There's never such a thing as to too much grace. But there can be an imprudent way of going about it. You don't want to... Do, you have to adapt the practice of religion to the age of your children and to where they're at. Right. It's the old analogy I've used many times of steak for a baby. If he's not capable of handling it, don't give it to him. he'll Spit it out. Don't want your child spitting out the faith. Well, but you have to work with the different ages as they are. For example, the rosary. I mean, when you pray your rosary to oblige your two year old to stand, kneel up straight the whole time when he's in a straitjacket, and whenever he budges, crying, right? You know, he, he's basically, he's virtually impossible for him to, to kneel up straight for 15 minutes. That's an eternity for crying out loud, right? So, I mean, you can't oblige something that he can't give. Right? And for you to oblige it, you're already forming him with a distaste for what you're trying to give him. Right? And so, no. I mean, it's, it's a, I'm exaggerating a bit to drive my point, but it's the same thing with your kids across the board. right? If your kids are... You know, I mean, that doesn't mean you don't make them do what they don't feel like doing. Oh, I want to say the rosary. Oh, we're going to say the rosary. Maybe baby asks us to, we'll say it every day, it's just to gift. It. And it's not going to kill them. But it's quite a difference between you say the rosary and we're going to say 15 decades. Right? And whether they like it or not, you're saying it. Right? And then we're going to do 45 minute spiritual reading after that, inside. Not, you laugh, but I know a girl. So now about, she's a house high school now. But I know a girl whose parents did exactly that. And they, had, they had the 45-minute rosary. They, in the morning, they had the divine office. They had silent meditation. They had, it was a monastery. And you know what? At 16, she was in satanic rock and roll. And there was a revulsion for the faith, which they created by their prudence. You have, of course, take into account where the kids are. Uh, And it's something that your educators have always talked about that. You're great educators. uh, You you never force. Uh, Even in John Boston, he talks about confession and communion. He says, never force. You provide the opportunity. Uh, When it comes to certain disciplines, daily morning, evening, prayers, rosary, Okay, fine. There, there's an obligation but it's a minimum obligation. It's not going to do any good. Sometimes, I mean, for example, mean, one of the schools I visited, sometimes they'll have, you know, one of the other priests will be saying, Mass, I'll just sit in the back. I'll assist Mass in the back. You know, and if you see kids, I saw recently, right, I'm watching, I mean, I'm assisting at Mass, right, and you had high school kids, right, like this, during the consecration, mind log- you. Louched, getting up and going out and The Mass is poison for your soul. Daily Mass, sure they're going to Daily Mass. It's poison for your soul. That doesn't mean you just go to the lowest common denominator and make them do nothing, but it's not going to do good to force too much. The Dominicans, the way they do it, is um, kids are not obliged to go to morning prayer. They're not obliged to go to Mass, but if they don't go to Mass, they study all in silence. Or they have chores. But they're not obliged. Um, For stations, the way they do it, and I like this, actually, the kids can sign up for it. If they want to do stations, they sign up for stations during the for example. Um, they They have some interesting things that I think work very well. But... Back to your question. I think Is it detrimental then if you have something enjoyable to do and because of that we don't need to say the rosary? Is that.? Well, I mean, there can be isolated incidences, uh, incidents of mm, failure to get the rosary in or whatever. I mean, it can happen. Friends are over visiting and they stay till eleven o'clock and they got school the next morning and they get the rosary in. Okay, it can happen. Uh, but if it's an isolated incident, if it's an exception to the rule, it's not gonna do much to any damage. And it's an exception to the rule that you didn't choose. You didn't know they were gonna to stay that to late the whole time, you were going, oh. you, know, <laughs> you know, okay, fine, it happens. But it's an exception to the rule. Well, I know you're talking about a little bit older children, but, you know, what about a 9- you know, or 11-year-old who they ask, what is purity? You know, they're going through their confession, they're preparing for their confession, or you're talking about purity of heart, and they keep asking, what is purity now, We're going to talk more on that. I mean, obviously, the whole next conference is basically, okay, how do you respond to kids' questions? Okay. Mm-hmm. Right, but, I mean, you can answer very simply, too. Purity is simply to respect your body and the purposes that God made it. Yeah. You respect your body. You respect God's plan for your body. You don't make fun of your body. You don't misuse your body. Okay. That's good. On their level, fine. Yes. Use of the, the sacraments are important. Um, with the size of our parish, we have a limited amount of time for confession. Mm-hmm. I've got the church 20 minutes before first Mass, not made it to confession. Sure. And everybody that didn't make the confession before first Mass is right up there in line. So the people that try and get there early for second Mass to get in line for confession sure. end <laughs> up in the back in of the line. Them. And lots of people don't end up getting to confession. It's true, and I know that. And that's why once a month I do confessions after the high Mass. And, but certainly there are times in the confessional too where I'm just going to agree And it happens more than you would think. It happened this morning, for example. So, it, uh, yeah, you have to get there early if you're going to get to confession. Right? And I understand that it's difficult when you have little kids that the saw. But, you know, whether you drive, maybe sometimes you drive separate. If Dad takes the older kids, he gets there oh, for we're going to go to confession. And if he's in front of them in line, it's even better. And there's always the, the, the option of asking how they can we hear our confessions sometimes. Sometimes. I think we do pretty well here. Now, you go to a parish like St. Vincent's in Kansas City, it's difficult. Go to St. Mary's. They have confessions two hours every night, I think. Uh, but you got to wait in line. difficult. You really have to make an effort. But I think for here, it's really not that bad. Uh, there's plenty of time when I'm just sitting. There. Yes? Can you overdo the stress of stress if you're covering too much to go with function? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because I know parents that'll have their kids in the profession every it's week like every consecutive Sunday where people that haven't gotten the profession in mm-hmm. months can't you? Yeah, it's yeah. not really a problem I don't think here. Um, there's a parish that I know <laughs> of where you gotta get you get there an hour and a half before you yeah. know you've got thirty people in my area. And, it, and, it's, and it's pretty much as they go every week. And it's, I, don't, I don't fault them for the devotion. That can create a difficulty as far as getting everybody in. That's not normally the case. I, I would be more leery of that because of forcing the kids to make a bad confession. So I said don't force your kid to go to confession at all. Provide the opportunity. Encourage. Don't make it. He didn't go to the sacraments last week. You're going to confession next week. You get in line you go, huh, be careful. He'll go. That doesn't mean he's gonna say what he needs to say. Yes. Um, I know um a family that wants to go to confession at a different parish just because they're uncomfortable about the priest or they give the priest an almost stuff. Sure. Would you encourage the parent to make an extra trip to a week or something to Go to confession, or just put on the opportunities um, often. Um, um, it seems like two different questions there. I'm not quite sure what you're asking. Pick <laughs> 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 the important thing, I, mean, I would say, what's important is that your child consistently go to the same priest as much as possible. That's important because that's how the priest. He might not know who the child is. I mean, I, a lot of times, hearing confessions, the priest does not know who he's talking to. He might recognize the soul but not who it is. And it doesn't matter. What's important is that he recognizes the soul. And if he go, oh, this is the one that struggles with this or has this situation at home, great. Now he can guide. Now he can help. Right? But consistent, a consistent confessor is important for that. And then he's getting consistent guidance. Especially a child who might be struggling with some difficulty, or scrupulosity or It's important at that point. But it really doesn't matter where they're going to confession. So long as it's a good priest who's going to give some advice, it's fine. As long as but the opportunity has to be there so they can go regularly. You know, and that's the difficulty. They go to our parish for Mass, but they go somewhere else for a confession, well yeah, they have to make a special trip there. And they have to go regular. regularly.